But it's a fact of life that siblings squabble Look at Liam and Noel or Kane and Dable Well, we ain't got a bandana, don't wanna kill you But we'll sit and chat and argue about cinema reviews Who is right, is it me or him? Well, you were always mother's favourite Are you still singing that hymn? Prepare for a battering, it's time for the squabblings Hello, and welcome back to Squabbling. Squabbling. Wow. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> oh, we're already, already, he's here. He's here. Do you sense him? Wow. Wow. Oh, <laughs> it's like we've summoned the ghost of Owen Wilson with Look at our... that, what's up? Look at that. Look at that, they're doing a podcast. That's really cool. It's really cool. You know, wow. we got, got your little jingles and you got the got this parody song. I mean, wow, that's, that's really fantastic. Wow. So, if you haven't caught on already, we are launching into a whole new month, uh, a themed month here on Squabblings. And what mm. theme is that, Tom? It's Owen Wilson month. Wow. 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 Yay! Yay! <laughs> Let's celebrate the long-haired Spaniel blonde genius <laughs> that is Owen Wilson. We've had this idea pretty much floating around since we started the podcast, mm. I think. And uh, I think it's largely because Tom has the biggest man crush on Owen Wilson. Oh, he's beautiful, isn't he? <laughs> he's a beautiful man, and nose included. It's part of the whole package. I, yeah, I think he's a good-looking bloke as well. Yeah. And for just for some reason, he's just become memeified. No, no other actor that I can think of has the same kind of meme level status that Owen Wilson does really? what about Nick Cage oh yeah Nick Cage and um, you know the, the, the nicest guy in Hollywood um, uh, Tom Hanks no Keanu Keanu Reeves uh, is he though yeah have you, did you see the? or is literally because he's such a poor actor he just gets by by being nice do, to everyone and think, that's and he's, and he's like oh I feel is. bad for Keanu we better put him <laughs> in our project now that he's so nice to us did you see that fake onion headline that was like uh, hundreds of women have, have uh, reported that Keanu Reeves <laughs> Acted very nicely. Acted very appropriately. Uh, very appropriately. Them. I did see that. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this this idea for uh, a themed month where we look at one actor's back catalogue uh, in particular mm. has has been an idea that we've floated around since since the very inception of this podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Owen Wilson in particular. I think he's a relic, isn't he, of a sort of not too far bygone, but I'd say for the past like seven or so years. His little comedy troupe of American actors haven't he, really made many films, have they? He's very emblematic of like the early noughties. Yeah, the late nineties to about twenty ten. Mm. His group of guys were just like banging out comedy after comedy, which teenage boys loved. And we were we were discussing this just before we started rolling, but Owen Wilson also has a brother in the film industry who was quite big in he the does. late nineties. Yeah, we were having an argument, weren't we? You because you said, "Oh, he's." His brother was the more known Wilson. Mm. I was like, no, it's not. It's obviously Owen Wilson. Yeah, he's a Hollywood. He's a Hollywood actor. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. Since since his brother has come on on the acting scene, he's kind of overtaken him in fame a little bit. I don't even and know what his brother did. He, I'm struggling to remember his name, but he is Emmett in the original Legally Blonde. That's what I mean. He's had that like one role. I think it's Luke and Wilson, isn't Luke it? Luke Wilson. Yes, it might be Luke Wilson. Funnily enough, they played. Have you ever seen any Drunk History? 
No. They played the Kellogg brothers <laughs> in Drunk History. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it was real life brothers playing um, uh, playing a historical brothers. But I know he was an anchorman as well as brother. He, yes, he was. He's, yeah, he's like a rival host of a, another news channel, yeah. I think. So his brother funny. does have a decent back catalogue, but, yeah. but not nearly on the same level that Owen Wilson You know has what it is? Now. I just feel like Owen Wilson, he's the whole package. He's got. He's, think? A, he's a pretty versatile actor. He's, he's probably about a 7 out of 10 or a 6.5 out of 10 with his acting skills. See, but, you, but then you, he's just extremely likable as well, isn't see, he? See, would you say Owen Wilson is a good actor or does he literally just play himself? He he, he sort of does, like maybe about 30% does, <laughs> yeah. but he is actually quite a good actor. Like, you know, he... Yeah, I just feel like he's versatile. <laughs> I think this is your uh, your um like your the bias roles, showing a bit the, here. The roles I've seen him in, you don't ever think when you watch his movies that he doesn't give a good performance. Even though you're aware you're watching Owen Wilson. Like he's good in his comedies, he's good in like Starsky and Hutch, he's funny in those movies with Jackie Chan. You know. <laughs> yeah, but oh we will we'll come back to the Rush Hour films in a future episode mm. um oh no not rush hour what it's am i talking hour. about uh that's shanghai that, noon and shanghai nights uh, chris tucker yeah there's my chris tucker with rich oh my god <laughs> 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 do, do you think do you think in some parts of his speaking uh role he can he's only audible to dogs i think that that's <laughs> what it was so high. they were just like let's yeah. pair jackie chan up <laughs> Who can't speak English very no, well? With well, Chris wait. Tucker, who can't speak English, what, apparently. What's the uh, um the, the the Jackie Chan Owen Wilson film that was? Yeah, be- I just said it. It's um it's Shanghai, Shanghai Nights, Nights and Shanghai and Noon. Shanghai Noon. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that seems to be on every British TV channel around Christmas at some point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like by now they're sort of Christmas classics. They you know, they're, they're, they're sort of, they're easygoing action they're, fun, aren't they? Yes, they're in the bracket From of Jackie like Jackie Chan's Prime. Yeah, they're in the bracket of like Christmas films that are not about Christmas. I'm thinking like you know, like Mary Poppins is a Christmas film. That's not yeah, about Christmas, well, but sort it's a, of. But it's a good family. It's film, a family film. I mean. yeah. yeah. Well, Owen Wilson. I only ever feel plays himself, and for some reason, he just seems to be keep landing roles in Hollywood yeah, but, that people have written specifically for him to step yeah, into. Yeah, but the thing is, is he so damn good at it that it's just like, well, we know exactly who we want in this role. It's <laughs> Owen Wilson. Like. Does anybody really know Owen Wilson? <laughs> Such gr- a mystery. The great enigma that is Owen. I bet he's really nice, actually, Owen Wilson. He looks like a nice he guy. He does. He seems like he? a stand-up fellow. Yeah, <laughs> you know. As he is in a lot of his roles, he seems like the sort of perfect person you'd want to be, say, like a much younger uncle. Say, like, if you had a parent, you'd want <laughs> yeah. them to be your cool uncle, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, that comes around for Thanksgiving. It's, hey, kid, yeah. have some of my beer. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you go to his, like in Meet the Fockers, you go to his perfect, awesome big house and he, like, shows <laughs> you around and, yeah, he's like the cool uncle who takes you out yachting and stuff. Lets you play with his Labrador puppy. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shall we get to it? Yeah, let's get to it. So, the first film that we will be looking at, uh, it's a bit of a blip in the Owen Wilson back catalogue. Yeah. It's kind of unlike a lot, uh, most of the stuff that he's done, but still kind of has that unique 
Owen Wilson-ness to it. <laughs> yeah, well, like we say, he just has sort of the Owen Wilson Midas touch where whatever he touches, it's just like, it's it's an Owen Wilson film. It's an Owen film. Wilson film now. <laughs> so, the film we will be looking at today is called Midnight in Paris, and it's a 2011 fantasy comedy drama film written and directed by Woody Allen. Mm, mm. Film favourite, film you critic favourite Woody Allen. And I don't get it. This film had so many flaws. On Rotten Tomatoes, I think its rating was about 93 or 95%, mm. something like that. And you know how a lot of people either fucking cream over or they hate Christopher Nolan? Mm-hmm. Well, I just, in the same way, I just don't think Woody Allen's that good. I just feel like his films are so pretentious and, I, yeah, and I lacking. Also, I also don't like Woody Allen that much, yeah. So- I mean, I like that his films are artistic, mm-hmm. but primarily a film should be story driven and there was almost like no story to this film well there was yeah there was definitely a kind of a lack of plot substance that yeah, I feel they could have gone a lot further I with i feel like they were just trying to to weave together certain narrative points that just weren't weren't connected in any way mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah so, set in Paris, the film follows Gil Pender, a screenwriter who is forced to confront the shortcomings of his relationship with his materialistic fiance and their divergent goals, which becomes increasingly exaggerated as he travels back in time each night at midnight. Mm. Yeah, so <laughs> we actually ended up watching this film separately this time. And when both of us had finished this film, we both kind of were drawn to each other in the house. And we were mm. just like... Why are these two a couple? Oh, 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 yeah, because we watched it separately, didn't Mm. we? Because we were doing things. And then I literally came up to you and said, like, why the hell is Owen Wilson with Rachel McAdams in this? She's obviously just the worst. Or maybe she's not the worst, but she just doesn't want what he wants out of life. This film does seem... does seem to be quite a common trope in a lot of films. It's like <laughs> we have we see this couple who are having issues in their relationship and mm-hmm. you just can't see for the life of you why these two people got together in the first place. No, Whatever I, made them compatible? I can't just at all know. because he's obviously a successful but artistic type who likes walks in the rain mm-hmm. and like likes to see the beauty, probably likes a good sunset, likes to go on holiday off the beaten track sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And she's very pragmatic, materialistic, almost yeah. very dismissive of him. Mm, yeah. And quite rude to him sometimes. Like, oh, totally, she's just yeah. just a rude bitch. Yeah, it's sort, it's sort of like, I don't know, psychopathic carrot and stick under the thumb relationship yep. stuff where if i don't know it's like a classic relationship where if she just treats him like shit the whole time yeah <laughs> he'll just stick around because he's like a little puppy dog who keeps getting beaten and wants to come back for more it's, it was a bad it was a bad mm. dynamic wasn't it so the film stars uh the aforementioned owen wilson michael sheen rachel mm-hmm. mcadams mm-hmm. tom hiddleston adrian brody Yep. Corey Stoll and uh, Kathy Bates, amongst yeah. others. So quite a star-studded cast. And back in yeah. 2011, you had some good up-and-comers. Like Tom Hiddleston wasn't that much of a well-known back was, in 2011. He was sort of an up-and-comer back then, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he'd had his um, breakout role with Loki. Had he? By this, t- by this point? So, the first yes. Avengers film came out, I, th- I think that Thor film the came th- out in 2011. The Thor film? So it came out the next year. It might have been 2010. This came out in 2010, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but but then you've got the the big juggernauts like uh, Kathy Bates and uh, mm. Adrian Brody. Yeah, as and Michael Darley. Sheen's no small name either. You know. Like, yeah, and, and Michael people Sheen. like that. Yeah, Michael Sheen is gonna is is gonna feature in my Quaskers uh, for this <laughs> film. He plays an excellent dick, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really weird because I think Michael Sheen's meant to be really nice as well. 
Um, but yeah. you know, just maybe a testament to his acting that he plays an excellent dick hole. Have you seen? Have you ever seen Good Omens? Yeah, he's he's, he's just a totally different character in that, isn't he? He's very, a sort of very nervous, well-to-do such angel, a, isn't he? Such a versatile actor. Yeah, and I love it. I love that. That I love his camp little relationship that he's got with David Tennant in that. Oh, he's amazing in that. Yeah, he's brilliant. But yeah. let's start cracking open this shit festival <laughs> that let's, is my Midnight in Paris. Let's compare notes. Compare notes. So the first note I have is just how dare they the utter just the utter pretentiousness of a film like this. I know Paris is meant to be sort of the mecca for artists mm-hmm. and therefore in the style of the film it invent it invokes a very kind of over the top you know something you'd expect to see like at the Cannes Film Festival. It's that- a yeah, it's a brilliant tourist film to to encourage people to go on holiday to Paris. Yeah, yeah. and in the first five <laughs> minutes, I was like, "What is this?" In the first five minutes, it's just sort of tourist real street shots yeah. of Paris, yeah. and I was like, "Am I literally just watching?" An advert from the tourist board from France. You literally like, could have had it. Like, like you, it, you would have missed nothing if the Eurostar logo had just flashed across it at mm. the end and said, Eurostar, come to Paris. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that is Return to London from £40. Yeah, it's, it's, it was literally just like stock footage of Parisian cafes and landmarks and yeah. pretty boulevards. Don't get me and... wrong. It all looks very nice. Oh, yeah. It makes Paris look wonderful. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I quite like Paris. It's a nice city. Um, uh, see, one of the first notes I've got written down, probably prompted by that opening uh, montage, was yeah. Paris, I think, is the most overrated city in the world. <laughs> it's good areas are very good and very nice. Yeah. But then, sorry to Paris, but, you know, L- London <laughs> suffers the same um, fate, which is a lot of it is really dirty. Yeah. In fact, I thought, yeah. particularly the last time I went to Paris, which was last year, I just thought parts of it were actually quite grimy and dirty. Like, they're See, not really taking care of it as well yeah, as they should. Yeah, I've had this very kind of love-hate relationship with Paris um, because probably from films like this, I thought it was some, like, artistic mecca and it was just a beautiful city, city of lights, and everywhere yeah. you walked it was this romantic boulevard with cobbled streets. Yeah, and yeah, that's the image it portrays. And, yeah. th- and this film is guilty of that. It completely, of, 100% of perpetuating that, uh, Yes, it? yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and this, yeah, and some parts of Paris are, are not like that. And Gil, I, I, but in a way, I think it's almost kind of like we're seeing this city through through Owen Wilson's character. In mm. a way, like he's got this over over romanticized yeah. view of Paris, and that is maybe we're seeing it through his lens a little bit. Yeah, it's like he, he's got. I think it's obvious that he's got the goggles on for something new because he's unhappy in his relationship, and he's like, "Wow, anything." Anything new, I'd take that. You know, he, he's sort mm-hmm. of grasping at straws with... Because part of the plot is at the beginning, he's considering moving to Paris, isn't he? Because mm-hmm. our protagonist, Mr. Owen Wilson, he's a screenwriter. <laughs> Apparently quite a good screenwriter, but in his own mind, he's a bit of a hack who yeah, keeps taking easy Feels like jobs. he's a bit of a sellout. Yeah, and he wants to write a novel. He's trying to work on his magnum <laughs> opus, isn't he? Yeah. The thing that got to me, though, is that they kind of... They showed all of these beautiful Parisian shots. Yeah. 
And then all at once on a totally black screen, they did the credits. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. I was like, oh God, that is Woody, Woody Allen, go. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've literally said there's no better marker that you're watching Woody Allen than wanky shots that go on for way too long. The credits all at once on a black screen. With no music, with starts. awkward comedy going yes, on in that yes. black screen. Yeah, oh it, it, what a trope. Yeah. And then, Well, maybe even not a trope, maybe just so Woody Allen, but I don't really, I'm not really into it. See, I kind of almost feel that Woody Allen wanted to to breach that gap between his style of filmmaking and that Rat Pack comedy troupe that Owen Wilson is known for for being in, because it it kind of felt like he wanted to make more of a comedy esque film, but with his unique um, um, cinematography yeah. f- feel to it. Uh, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and in the end, it it just it it just still came across as horribly pretentious yeah and uh, yeah like like it, it sh- that he was trying to plug for like can film festivals best film of 2011 sort of thing no but yeah, with yeah. Owen wilson is the star and like when i think of the can film festival i don't think of like owen wilson <laughs> generally you don't think of big a-listed name especially comedy actors winning anything in the can film festival do you no you tend to, yeah you do tend to think of smaller lesser known actors who are or, or actors that are better known for very, Actors who are very method. Yeah, method, darling. Yeah, method. I'm, I'm all about the craft. Where I think Owen Wilson, he, he just respects a good, honest laugh. Uh, he's one of those comedians. Owen, Owen Wilson will learn his script about three days before he's meant to be on set, you know, and, and that's the kind of prep that he does. <laughs> and he'll does. just fumble the, the rest of the way through it with like wows and wow. well, that's fantastics and stuff and, <laughs> and just like ad libs. Yeah, when he can't remember the rest of the line, he just goes, Wow, that's that's really cool. <laughs> but but actually, that and that's why we love him so much. But actually, I feel like he 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 is a very good, lovable protagonist, isn't he? Yes. You do you do root for him as a hero, and I thought this was sort of um, highlighted. You know, every time Michael Sheen was on screen, so and they were loathable. hanging around, yeah, they were hung, hanging around with Michael Sheen. He was either trying to like I don't know just be a nice person or like dig Michael Sheen out of a hole yeah yeah see I I've I've written down that uh, I'm not sure if this was meant to be a stylistic choice or something that that the 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 director actively encouraged but are you meant to hate all of other characters apart from Owen Wilson especially the the characters in the present day because Michael Sheen's character was an absolute tosser who who like (laughs) <laughs> the only one I didn't hate was probably his wife Carol, who was just along for the ride and didn't yeah. really get any other lines. Did yeah, she? That, well, that's because she didn't really have much of a character alongside she is Michael Sheen's wife. But uh, yeah. as we said before, his fiance is a bit of a dick, oh, total and, dick. And I've also said, right, I've also picked this up. Who goes on holiday with their in-laws to Paris? Um, I think what had happened is they explained that the dad was over there doing a business merger with some French companies. Oh so shit! I completely missed this. Okay, yeah. That's the thing, a lot of the, the important plot details, they get lost in a Woody Allen film to make way for things like colourful shots of the streets of Paris and, <laughs> and see, stuff like that. See, I thought that they, the two of them had gone on this romantic holiday to Paris and then like the, the, the fiancé's um, parents had decided to just like come along with them and like sabotage their holiday. Well, I think maybe also because they were getting engaged, they were meant to see it as sort of a wedding planning holiday sort of thing. I don't oh, know. I see. Mm. But even still, it struck me as a little bit of an odd dynamic. And, you know, rather predictably, the in-laws are horrible people as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, true. Yeah, and I, it was probably a done on purpose to make to make Owen Wilson seem more likeable. 
Yeah. <laughs> but No, yeah. yeah, that's that's what they're doing, isn't it? They're meant to highlight how much of a, a nice person he is to get us to root for him just by highlighting how awful they are. Uh, and it's it- like, there could have been a little more give and take there. It's... You know, it's real life, and I'm surprised that they didn't really follow this up because they have Hemingway highlight this in the film. Like, as long as the story is tr- like true and honest, uh, you know, it will be a good story. It, and it's it, never yeah. that black and white that no. people are just dicks for well, the sake of being they, dicks. They took they? it a little bit too far as well because uh, the fiance kind of has this little monologue about, um, oh, he's so stuck in the past, and um, um, all this. Uh, he's really interested in worthless old junk and like sh- stuff like this. And like, has she, yeah, ne- every has time- she never heard of a hipster? Yeah, every time, every time he sa- she says something like that, I'd have just been like, "Fuck you! Why am I with you?" Well, it's like d- lots of people like nostalgia. It's not a unique thing. It's not a unique thing to Owen Wilson. No, it's it's not. <laughs> like, no. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of Americans out there who like things that are not from this era. Like the yeah. re- the reason why vinyls are such a big thing is because people. Are are engaging with old mm. formats. Yeah, <laughs> I kind I kind of like about this film how as well it's sort of a window into the American mindset and their attitude towards Europe is I don't know they just sort of see it as almost like a do you think they see it as sort of like a playground? I think they almost kind of do, especially as a lot of Americans. Um, have their ancestral roots back in Europe. So they kind of, they almost kind of see it as a playground and like a dreamland, like another land, yeah. you know, like a, a, but these a once guys upon a ver- time land kind of, you know. They were very much per- perpetuating the stereotype, weren't they? That the Americans kind of just go there for a holiday yeah. and, and none of them seemingly bothered to learn the language or speak any French. No. <laughs> <laughs> they would just, just go up to people and be like, excuse me. How much is this? And it'd be like, but it, or like the hotel Bristol. Uh, you parlez yeah. vous anglais? Parlez vous anglais, monsieur? And of course, in that very true French Parisian side, they go, no, monsieur. No, monsieur. No, monsieur. Au revoir. No, monsieur. No, monsieur. Bye bye. Bye bye. Just refuse to speak to a yeah. drunk American guy. <laughs> I mean, in his defense, France is one of those countries where I don't know, they're so protective about their language, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That <laughs> mm-hmm. I swear this has happened several times when I've been in France. You go up to somebody like at a kiosk and they're smoking a cigarette or whatever, and you go, um, I'll have, you know, you try and speak in French, uh, like, I don't like, know. Do Coca-Cola. Yeah, do Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, yeah. Coca-Cola s'il vous plaît. And she goes, I speak English, don't even try. <laughs> it's one of those, yeah. Yeah, it has happened to me before. Like, yeah, um, a deux croissants, s'il vous plaît. And he goes, I speak English, I what speak do you want? English, fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Uh, two I'm croissants, sorry. please. <laughs> yeah. I won't bother learning next Excuse time. Excuse me for trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is the stereotype of the French, isn't it? I think mm. that was the other big um, misrepresentation of this film is that all of the French people I saw were way too welcoming. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough cigarettes in hands either. No. <laughs> Where were the cigarettes? Not enough eye rolling. <laughs> so, you know, as the film goes on, uh, we're introduced to kind of the core premise of the film is that um, every night at midnight when he rounds a particular corner, an old timey 1920s car will come and pick him up and then he gets like transported back to 1920s Paris. Mm, and he goes back in time. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've got to give to them was a really, really cool premise. And I really liked this idea. It is. Uh, I have a couple of notes about the whole time travel thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, where do you even start with something like this? I think num- number one, I think this film 
it would have worked better as a series, I think, than a film. A premise like that, especially if you're tackling time travel, it's yeah. such a big thing. There's so much to unpack in yeah. 90 minutes or like however long the film especially is. Especially seen as they're dealing with characters of such calibre. Yeah. Yeah. Like historical characters. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I I did get a little buzz, you know, like as a historian, every time like a, somebody popped up, like, oh my god, that's Ernest Hemingway! And, uh, oh my well, god, it's Scott, it's Scott I just Gerald. sort of thought it was lame, like they were literally oh, shoving really? names in there just to get a little rise out of the audience every time. It, like it, for instance, mm. they put like Dali and Degas and you know, all, all these people in there. And number one, what the fuck did they do to Dali? They really did a number <laughs> on him. I really like Dali. They just make you think Dali wants to fuck rhinoceroses, and it's like that's his entire <laughs> life in a nutshell. But Dali was a weird bastard. <laughs> I wouldn't have doubted for a moment. Like this is the guy that used to walk around New York City with an anteater. I oh really? <laughs> I have no trouble believing that he would sit in French cafes drawing rhinoceroses humping each other. <laughs> I know, but he could. Pro- he he didn't seem like he was. Um, I don't know, like Dr. Eric Selvig has lost his mind crazy, like I running mean, around yeah. nude. He probably could have strung together a sentence or I mean, a conversation. Yeah. I mean, the further through the film you got, you did just get more random name drops and not a lot yeah. of like expansion on the character. I mean, the characters you meet at the beginning, like Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald, they get a little bit more character built around them rather than just like the name drop. But yeah, as the film went on, you got all of these big, huge name drops of historical characters. You say that, but let's think about the depth of the characters so let's think about what depth they went into. What yeah. depth do they go into about Ernest Hemingway? That he's a little bit of a uh, a bit of a misogynist, and he. I don't think he's a misogynist. I think he's just attracted to powerful women, isn't he? I don't know. I think I think he likes to show his power to women. I th- well, this is the thing. I didn't. I, I Ernest Hemingway is one of my favorite writers ever. Full stop. And right. I really didn't like him in this film. No, it's just it's just, <laughs> it's just like a guy. He, he's a laugh to hang around with and stuff. You you know, you'd party with Hemingway, but you wouldn't have him babysit your kids no, or, mean, or be your best man. The whole kind of drawer of this generation of people who were in Paris in the 20s, they're called the Lost Generation because they right. went through uh, the First World War and then right. they make a lot, most of their art. Uh, in in the decades following the war so they have a lot of that PTSD pretty much and Mm. a lot of their work comes from very dark places and with Hemingway you can get that you get that in particular actually um, it is mentioned in the film a couple of times but the the whole kind of premise for this film was based around Ernest Hemingway's kind of semi-memoir of his time living in Paris called A Movable Feast Right, okay. Um, in which he interacts with F. Scott Fitzgerald and they get some motor car and go driving out into the French countryside and there's a scene where like F. Scott Fitzgerald pretty much has like a breakdown. Oh really? <laughs> and a bit and a bit of like a tantrum because like they ran out they run out of gas about three miles from a town and he has he throws a bit of a hissy fit like that he has to go into the town and get petrol. <laughs> wow. That's quite funny actually. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what it, yeah, but I I do feel that these these very complex characters were kind of given a very 2D personality well, in this film. Well, I feel like what their personality was based on was basically like the greatest hits of a Wikipedia page. It kind of is, yeah. And I, like I say, I think it would have worked much better as a series because I, I just feel like the episodic um, serial type medium would have worked much better for it. Yeah. Everyone would yeah. have unfolded much better. And in that instance, you'd have been able to give more of a depth of character to Rachel Adam, Rachel McAdams, maybe not make her such of a bitch. Yeah. Maybe let us see why they were together in the first place. Even I mean, if the, he seri- is disillusioned. the series that did that premise pretty well that I'm thinking of is Outlander. 
because they they made that serialized and mm. um you almost um outlander actually was almost made a feature film but uh diana i don't think that would have worked no. no no exactly because of what you've said is that none of these characters would have got any depth and i'm thinking of rachel mcadams parallel in in outlander is frank the husband that she leaves behind yeah he does get a lot more depth because Absolutely, you yeah. see um that he's not just this cookie cutter dickhead and because because it would have been well, easy frank's not a tosser is he no but it would have been easy in 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 the outlander adaptation to make frank a dick so that she has more reason to stay in scotland yeah. in in the jacobite yeah era. yeah but, absolutely um, yeah. but the thing is with, with outlander it at least deals with its time travel i think better than midnight in paris yeah. does because the rules in outlander, it's not like it's sci-fi but at least in outlander you know it's because of probably more celtic magic mm-hmm and that's their explanation for the time travel. It, with with Midnight in Paris, it's just there. It's never really fully explained how it's uh, no, able to No, it's just happen. this bullshit premise that a car comes around the corner, he gets in. And it doesn't it's not it, even really explained how he travels back to the present either. He doesn't get like back in the car. No, Some, no. Some, sometimes he'll just like walk down the street and turn around and then he's just like back in the future. Yeah, because that happens, doesn't he, where he, he's going to take his book to Hemingway. And he walks out of a Parisian cafe and he's like, oh, I forgot to tell him where we're going to meet. And he goes back and it's a laundrette. And it's like, where's the consistency to this? No, yeah, exactly. No, and I think because it had a bit of a rushed feeling to it, because it, it wanted to get in so much plot in such a short amount of time, then, then yes, it made these characters very wooden, and yet, like these people, these 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 writers that people have kind of um, revered now, like mm. they, they just they just felt a little bit flat. Yeah, I mean, I keep banging on about this, but this mm. the series would have just given so much potential to everyone, especially like Gertrude Stein. I think there was a lot of potential yeah. there for her character. I mean, Gertrude Stein is an absolute badass. Well, that's what I mean. I feel like she could have made a very good sort of godfather type figure of Parisian <laughs> art. The, the whole, she, you know, in a series, she could have been a good anchor point for Gil to to always confide in. I think that would have been a good mm. part of a series. And I know, know this, the, the 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 film majority takes place in the 1920s, but when World War Two comes around and uh, the Nazis occupy. Paris. Gertrude Stein, mm. of course, with a second name like Stein, um, yeah. of Jewish descent, she just flatly refused to cooperate with the Nazis and became like a, a real badass. And she's such a good character. But mm. yeah, she's not really given much personality outside of, yeah, show me your book. And I'm like now the arbitrator of what is good and bad. And that's it. And then, yeah. you know, Pablo Picasso, one of the most sophisticated <laughs> figures of the 20th century, they just boil it down to he paints and he fucks. Like, you know, know. same with Salvador Dali, like all of these artists, they're fucking weird, crazy characters who's, you know, probably each of them deserve their own uh, feature film about their life story. I think it's it's pretty, you pretty much nailed it. What what you said there, they're these people are boiled down to their very base um, elements of their character. Dali is weird. Picasso was a womanizer. Hemingway likes to fight and get drunk. Yeah. If Scott Fitzgerald was basically cleaning up uh, his missus mess the whole time. (laughs) It never even went into any of his literary achievements, really. It was just that his missus was a bit off the rails and he was always cleaning up after. You get more more, um, interaction with Zelda Fitzgerald than you do uh, Scott Fitzgerald. Literally, because I remember making a note. There's one scene where they just find her about to jump into the River Seine. And I'm like, what was the point in that? 
that that never went anywhere. Obvious- that wasn't relevant to the plot. I mean, this is what I mean. Yeah, it's obviously meant to allude to the fact that Zelda Fitzgerald had mental health issues for a lot of her adult life. Yeah, but, but it wasn't it's... relevant no. in any way, was it? And 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 it also then wasn't expanded upon. They literally find her by the river, and, and Owen Wilson gives her a Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. He gives her a Valium or something. Sp- yeah, that's it. He gives her a Valium, yeah. and then they never speak of it again. Mm. A little gripe, a little gripe I have with the film as well is that we're meant to love Owen Wilson, and he is a an innately lovable character at his core, I think. But then Woody Allen sort of does a number on him in the plot where. Well, we know he's meant to be the more lovable, faithful, and you know, caring part of his um, relationship of with relationship. Rachel McAdams. But then there's this scene where he goes back in time and he starts to develop a, a, a love interest with a French girl, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And then he, so he goes back to the present again and he reads her diary and he reads that she likes him in the diary. And then instantly, as soon as he's found that out, he's like, right, well, I've got to try and sleep with her then. <laughs> because basically she has this dream and she writes it in her diary that she's in love with him and that in the dream he bought her a set of earrings so instantly he goes right I'm going to buy some earrings and give them to her and and, and bang her basically yeah Owen Wilson is made to be this uh, diamond in the rough character of of, of, like I'm the only nice sane person in this thicket of dickheads around me but then literally when it comes to the crunch he's just going to go bang every French girl he can and this was the nail in the coffin right he stole a pair of his wife's earrings to give to this woman woman and then it's only when he's found out and the and and his wife his fiance is about to call the the hotel, the hotel and security. complain that the maid has stolen her earrings that he suddenly he's got like oh is this them is this mm. them? oh i'm like yeah you so know i was never sure if we were meant to like owen wilson's character or not it's just so it's just i mean i messages. just like him because he's owen, he's wilson, owen wilson like he's a member of the family it's like no you can't say anything bad bad about owen but what woody allen's obviously trying to do he's trying to make him the hero but some of the choices he made in the plot just make Owen Wilson seem like a dick, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is a bit socially um, inept as well. Like, I mean, even if you're a nice person, would would you, say, insult your in-laws about their political opinions? Even if you were trying to express that it was uh, freedom of speech or different, you know, mm. the ability to have freedom of difference now, in would, opinion. Yeah, would you call them, like, neo-fascist morons? No, I, w- I wouldn't call yeah. someone... Yeah, basically a fascist across the dinner table no. who I was <laughs> going to get married to their daughter. No. no. I'd just be you know, you'd do what you do with any sort of in-law types. You'd, you'd just stay seethingly, passively resentful and not you take any of their advice. you just along and refuse to diverge your, your own opinions. Yeah, exactly. Go, mm, okay, mm, right, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're talking about, like, the ending of this film. It was a fulfilling, yet an unfulfilling ending. Uh, I mean, it was. I mean... His 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 fr- his his French uh, love affair. Misses. His French bird. <laughs> they g- they go back in time even further to the Belle Époque, don't they? La Belle Époque. La Belle Époque, and yeah. she decides to stay and make ballet costumes for um for Degas and Toulouse-Lautrec. Yeah, yeah. Toulouse-Lautrec. Yeah, and so he's just like, oh well, that's that then. Well, it's meant to be like a parallel of him wanting to go back in time to the twenties, and then suddenly this girl that he's fallen in love with, she wants to leave the twenties and go back to the mm. Belle Époque. The so- one. That was the one thing I did like about it was out of all of it, that was probably the only diamond in the rough that it was that moment was a very poignant observation yeah. about the, the sort of disposition of the the uh, the, uh, the suffering artist that they always think 
an era that's preceded them has been more artistically um, fertile. Or, it it you know, also or speaks great. to like kind of human nature as well, doesn't it? We're always going to be nostalgic about a bygone era, and we never really appreciate the era the era in which we live. Yeah, and she she has a line. Um, Along the as uh, she ha- she says something along the lines of surely you don't think the twenties is a golden age mm, and, yeah, and exactly. he was like yeah of course I do but she of course then thinks that the belly pock is the golden age and and then we hear mention that the people in the belly pock think that the Renaissance was the golden age so mm. in in a in a way that that kind of motif really did speak to me and it did kind of find me thinking oh was this film kind of made for me <laughs> for me in a way this like that, that one morsel is poignant you know and it's it's like musicians now you know they're always saying oh man wasn't music good in the 70s or 80s <laughs> or whatever and the the i don't know i just feel like the reason behind that is because like they're artists and creating original art whatever the time period is is fucking hard yeah but what's not hard is thinking back to people in the past and what you know what they've what, done uh, be- wasn't it better then? because yeah because yeah. it's already established you know it's great and you know why it's great and, yes and yeah. because of that it's not hard to replicate and therefore mm-hmm. you think oh it was much better back then and and it but also it was much easier but the fact is in 30 years i guess people will be saying the same thing that that's it yeah people always have this tendency to have this fascination with uh, the past and this idolization of people and places and it, you know it's not always as it seems i mean like the the movements that we've seen um of recent you know show that you know everybody in the past isn't always um you know, as upstanding mm. as 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 um as we believe them to be. No. And you know, especially of recent in society, you know, like we've mentioned that, you know, vinyl has made a huge uh comeback. And yeah. uh, you know, people are now starting to move more towards cameras that produce uh actual tangible film. Yeah. You know, like I, I and I am one hundred percent one of those people who will go on holiday with my Polaroid Mini mm. <laughs> and and troll uh, Camden Market for 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 vinyls. I'm 100% one of those people. I love living in the past. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's the same like fascination with what how guitarists have a fascination with older models of guitar, like the Fender Stratocaster, which you know they were first made in the 50s, or the Les Pauls were also first made in the 50s, mm-hmm. and they say like, oh, they were golden years for them. Yeah. And it's just it's just obvious that technologically, gu- guitars are getting better, mm-hmm. and they have always continued to get better technologically in terms of how they play, and you know how they sound, how how easy it is to make them, and it I, it's it's hard to understand why people hearken for these sort of classic I mean, eras. That's that's the kind of revelation that Owen Wilson's character has towards the end, yeah. of, the end of the film and he's almost baffled that his his French love interest wants to go to the belly pot because he like, says to you know these people don't have any biotics. <laughs> and to be fair, he's right, isn't he? He's, he's <laughs> true, yeah. I mean, some of my students have asked me this a couple of times and they said, "Oh, if you were going to live in the past, what era would you live in?" And like 100% of the time I will say to them an era that has antibiotics. Yeah, sometime, sometime <laughs> after after that guy Fleming found yeah. penicillin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because because I have to, I have to teach the history of medicine uh, in in GCSE, and right. it's, it's an interesting. What was his face? The guy found penicillin. Flem- Fleming is the the person that you're thinking of who got kind of the credit for it, but a lot of the groundwork for for antibiotics and such and w- was was done by a female doctor. And oh, I, right. I, I'm, I feel terrible because I can't remember her name. Well, the thing is, I thought on a tangent, I thought it was to do with because isn't mold penicillin or something like that? Yes, essentially. And and the- he, I thought 
Fleming was meant to have observed like Cossacks or saddle boys rubbing it on their saddle sores and it was curing saddle sores. Yeah, or there are there are a lot of anecdotal stories like that where people have been using, yeah, pseudo penicillin y type mm. substances for a very long time. Yeah. Um but Adriana, uh, the, the the big shock to me was that her character actually wanted to stay in the belly pock because throughout the film she is portrayed as being a bit more level-headed and uh, down-to-earth and more well, realistic than well, Gil was. Like, I feel like she's a very wishy-washy, two-dimensional character. That She's basically just a pretty love interest. Like, what do we know about her, really? That well, we know she that just she's likes got... to sleep around with artists. I don't I mean... know if that's like... I think that's kind of um, a very a base reading of her. And she I, makes I actually... clothes. Like, come on, what else is there? I actually kind of think that she had more depth than many of, like, the real people. I think she had more depth of character than Hemingway did, certainly. Like, how, how so? Well, because she had this very sad past and she was never able to really trust uh, any of the men that had been in their life, in her life, because they'd always had other women. And... Or was she as much to blame as them really i i guess it, yeah like I, going I after s- men who she knew was married like yeah, all of them <laughs> i kind of i kind of see what you're saying that, that it, it, it takes two to enter into a relationship but especially uh, an adulterous relationship yeah <laughs> and she was almost kind of this forgotten part of history and she, and yeah she was always always kind of looked over even down to like being misrepresented in paintings and mm. Because there's, there's quite a funny scene where uh, they're in an art gallery in the future and yeah. they see a Pablo Picasso painting that Gil knows is actually her. Yeah. But it's been mislabeled as another mistress of Picasso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's trying to correct Michael Sheen's character and Michael Sheen's character gets all pissy that he's being corrected by. Yeah, I thought, that, I thought that was actually quite funny. But <laughs> I don't know. I, don't you just get this thing when you look at Picasso that you're like, people are telling you, they're like, oh, it's genius. And you're like, no, it's fucking not. <laughs> it's obviously like just on crack. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like, what are you doing, Picasso? Like, I'm painting, I'm sure. Yeah. If you yeah. kind of get... Like, what the fuck... <laughs> That thing, that was meant to be and that that painting, and they're talking about that painting in the film. It's like, oh, don't you see it dripping with lust and oh it's so Adriana. And I'm like, no, it's so like it's it's nightmare fuel. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like that scene in Spy Kids where Floop can make anything he wants out of the clay yes! and turn the people into it. And it's like the he's taken people. a thing of her. He's taken his clay mould of Adriana and like mashed it up like he does. And then it's made this horrible creation. <laughs> Picasso is very Marmite-esque. And some, I, can, I can sometimes get Picasso, especially like when he comes into his own as an artist a yeah. little bit, because you can see how he's drawn like a profile from different angles and perspectives and then mushed it together in this well, one kind of thing. With a lot of the artists from that period, like the, um, what are they called? The the surrealists and like the... Um, the cubists. The cubists and, and yeah. so on. I respect them because the art sometimes isn't to my taste, but I know that... You know what they, they're trying to do. Yeah, and I, But I also know that if they wanted to, they were amazingly trained. Mm-hmm. But also, you, you know a good artist by the amount of effort and technique and thought that goes into creating their their pieces and even though i look at a picasso like that and i think oh it looks like a child's drawing i probably know that it takes a great deal of talent and art to actually recreate a painting like he would have done it yeah like if he wanted to picasso probably could have done 
a hyper very traditional a hy- yeah portraits. a hyper realist yeah. a hyper realism sketch of whatever he wanted that was you know perfect ratios and shading and whatever but that just wasn't his style that's not how he felt like he wanted to express himself but the film just totally misses things like that it's just <laughs> gross caricatures isn't it it is yeah and that ultimately is 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 what lets all of these people down is that they just become caricatures of themselves yeah like somebody is complex and his beautiful writing such as hemingway like i didn't even get that vibe from hemingway no, I, I feel like he was more concerned about presenting this image that he was like the last of the victorian explorers or like the butch macho man that yeah. wants to smash bottles on the floor and say, anyone yeah. want to fight? Yeah, and he's like, you ever <laughs> shot a lion? He's like, I have. <laughs> like, what the fuck are like, you talking about? When I first started reading Hemingway's books, he had me weeping in yeah. my yeah in my in my university room i was reading like the old man in the sea and, <laughs> and you just get none of that i mean what instead of making me weep it almost made me cry with laughter because <laughs> i just felt it was like you know when you go to these beatnik poetry readings and everyone's trying really <laughs> hard to be a proper good artist i left yeah my poem you know, yeah at and, home because you know you get the bongos <laughs> you get like and then the clicking starts. <laughs> and then I shit you not, you could have placed that moment in this film where he just starts reading like, it was 4th Battalion's job to take the hill at Vermont. Yeah, It was me, Davis, and Sergeant Johnson. Johnson was okay because he was brave. And Davis, he'd lost his hand, but guy, by golly, was he courageous. Yeah. Like, this is just like a bad poetry reading. Like, what the fuck? No, it's not good. It's not good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I know they were trying to get the essence of Hemingway, but it was just like they've missed the mark with every one of these characters. Oh, wow. Hey, that's one of your little drawings. There you go, pole vault over the thing. There he goes, and there he is. Wow. Wow. Bitch, where my croissant? <laughs> I don't think you're ready for the thunder. Daydream so hard, Rodan gonna carve me. In Paris, walking carefree. Wilson go wow like sirens whooping down the Champs Elysees. Walk so hard, he end up in the 20s. Wife got him by the testy. 90 minutes of wanky shots and coffee shops. Woody's clearly Oscar Beatty. French tourist board, take my money. This film what hipsters wanna be. Jazzy scores and vinyl stores. Vintage whores, it's cringe decor. But still, there's lots of eye candy. Men in vintage suits, yummy. Hibbles make me soft as free. Is Wilson a strong romantic lead? Oh, my eye so hard is gonna blind me. That shit cringe. That shit cringe. That shit cringe. Roll my eyes at McAdams. Well, she makes that shit cringe. Makes that shit cringe. Makes that shit cringe. Night in Paris, this film weird. This view of the city engineered. Lost generation reappeared. Read so cold you'll need a beard. Writers, insiders, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, hey, Picasso. Ah, fuck no, stop dropping names. Pour the bottle! I said, hey, can we fly into Charles de Gaulle? You don't get films like this in Rome or Montreal. For every Michael Sheen, there's three chorus styles. And Owen Wilson lights it up like Luminal. Fuck the haters, I love him. Fans ahead, love that trim. Fall asleep just listening to his wild cools, my jam. Excuse my French, I'm just spitting. Wilson month is not quitting. Got my riders in Paris, and squabblings ain't remitting. Ah! Oh. You 
one now, listen, don't groan Rhymes stink like French cologne I ain't no Post Malone Talk worse than Hiddlestone You are now, listen, don't groan Rhymes stink like French cologne I ain't no Post Malone Talk worse than Hiddlestone Should we move on to the Coscas? Yeah, why not? It's time for the Coscas! Who's the best and who's the worst? The Academy don't know shit! We shall So, best in film, Tom? I think we can both unanimously agree who our best in film is. I mean, I like Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. He probably would be best in film. But actually, I thought, um, now that you say it, I can't remember what that French actress is called. She's quite a famous French actress as well, isn't she? Uh, viewers will know her from uh, Inception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, and she was in ba- the, the Dark Knight Rises. She's been in quite a lot of Christopher Nolan films. Marion Cotillard. That's the one, yeah, Cotillard. Um, Cotillard, excuse me, um, that's my pronunciation. I thought she was Butchered quite that. good, actually. As much as I thought she was a bit two-dimensional. Uh, yeah, see, I almost gave uh, my best in film to Marion Cotillard, but I, I do just think Owen Wilson, just just in in the only way that Owen Wilson can, he just he just stole my heart. <laughs> he just he does just steal the show. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. He's just so fuzzy and lovable, isn't and, he? And it's interesting because for the first 20 minutes of the film, you think, God, he is a bad actor. And then suddenly something switches in your brain and you think, he is the best actor. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, God, I love him. I love you so much. And yeah. I just want to nestle myself into that golden blonde hair. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> While you recite your Parisian poetry to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just like, uh, yeah, just wander around the town with him having beers. Like, I bet he's just like the funnest guy to have at a party. I bet ever. he's just a nice guy. Yeah. You know, we just meet a really nice person. Yeah. And you yeah. just every time you think of them, you think, God, they're nice. Yeah, he's like he's like fun Bobby or something from Friends. He's just yes. the li- he's like the life and soul. Oh no, that 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 does bring in implications when you compare him to fun Bobby. Don't but he's you? not an alcoholic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, we 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 kind of know from um, years gone by that Owen Wilson has had kind of personal issues outside of that persona that he yeah, presents. Yeah, poor guy. I think because his girlfriend broke up with him. His long-time girlfriend tried to kill himself once, this, didn't this he? This must Poor have guy. been about ten years ago now. I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's is that kind of um, it's you know tears of a comic kind of the tears of a clown. Yeah, yeah. that often the funniest people are always the saddest. Mm. I think that's because a lot of comics to do what they do, they're so insanely smart, aren't they? So they just yeah. see mm. the the pessimism. Although I never really got like him wanting to be fiercely intelligent i um i i just no but to be a comic i just got warmth from him yeah but to be i feel like to be a comedian of any sort you have to be you have to understand people you have to be aware of what yeah yeah you have to understand society and people on a level enough to uh because basically any joke i read this weird book actually which was talking about the history of the joke and any joke is basically there's two parts to it there's an assumption so there's like the first part of joke and then usually the the punchline or whatever it 
it smashes or misleads your whatever mm. assumption you've made in a comedic way. So to to first be a comic, you have to first know what assumption you're making and know what point you're trying to make. Yeah, and they're often fiercely intelligent, aren't mm. they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh Owen Wilson. I want to cuddle him. I just want to cuddle. I just want I to cuddle with Owen Wilson. Well, this film is it. it that is that maybe because this film is sort of a rom com, you know. It almost it almost could be a rom com, couldn't it? Mm. I I I wouldn't put it in the rom com category, but it's certainly well, I mean, like I a film I that you see with your girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a romantic. And then when you walk back drama. to the car, you say, "Let's go to Paris for a yeah. weekend." Let's go to Paris, honey. You know, I I feel like rom coms they should just stay away from time travel. Like they don't do it well. <laughs> no, time travel don't. is the domain of sci-fi because when <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy. Like, think about when we're talking about it. We're like, how did he go back in time? Why is he there? <laughs> do his effects have any? Um, do, do his actions have, have any effects effect on, on the future? The future? Like, yeah, could yeah. he leave a note to himself? Like, what? What the fuck is this? Like, how do we? How do we know now that he isn't going to turn up in Hemingway's um, whatever you were talking about, a, ver- a veritable a move- feast a or whatever? A movable feast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be because, funny oh god there's another film i'm thinking of which is a like a a, a rom-com that has time travel in it that did it much better than a, an, um, a midnight in pa- midnight, midnight in, paris. in paris it's it's this film that's got donald gleason in it have you seen it and it's a rom-com where it's got bill nye in it it's really great actually oh is this the richard curtis thing i like, think so well basically what mo- it is like, is, like back in time or a moment in time yeah a moment something. in time he goes back in time in a cupboard he, f- he finds that his family just have this trait where he can go back in time and change things. And he finds out that his dad has also been able to do this throughout his life. But then his dad gets cancer later on in life and he won't, his dad won't go back in time to save himself because part of the plot is that every time he goes back in time, uh, something happens like his children change because he's changed part of the future. Oh, shit. So it has much more of a gravity and a, and a bearing on the story than it did in Midnight in Paris. Like, it really worked well. It didn't really work in Midnight in Paris, the time travel element. Like, yeah, in that same way that Americans see Europe as a playground, he kind of saw the past as his playground and there were, like, no direct consequences to, well, to what well, he was doing. Well, yeah, yeah. I feel like the past, it was just shoehorned in so that he, yeah. we could get these famous names in. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, speaking of, my worst in a film is going to go to Corey Stoll, who played Hemingway. Oh, yeah, it was literally just like he was doing an A-level interpretation of Hemingway. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you the, do the, for an A-level the, play. There were parts of his of his speech that I just felt he was reading directly from, like, a prompt thing that, mm. that was just behind the camera. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I was thinking, this, this sounds like he's reading directly from a Hemingway book. And if he was speaking like a normal person, he just wouldn't sound like that. Like I said before, it just sounds like everything he's doing is a poetry reading. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just not normal speech. Like even even poets don't speak like that normally. No. And I know they're artists, and I do know a lot of people like this who will like their whole life is about that sort of lifestyle where they will yes. get together and appreciate each other's art. Not even those guys are always like that. They have their downtime where they just go for a yeah, beer that, and it. shoot the shit. That's it. You just want to say to them, God, take a night off, Hemingway. Yeah. Jesus Christ, just turn it off for a little bit. Yeah, for, f- <laughs> for fuck's sake. Like, not everything's about your gritty past, for God's sake. <laughs> what do we think about best supporting actor? Um, I think as a combination, the Fitzgeralds were quite good. I feel like even though 
with everyone in this film. They're never in it long enough to really expand no. their character. Yeah, I almost they went were believable. For, I almost went for one of the Fitzgeralds as my best supporting because I feel Tom Hiddleston in particular gave enough subtlety to his performance that there was a little bit of depth of character to the very short time that we saw him on mm, screen. Yeah. Um, but my best supporting is going to go to Michael Sheen. He was good, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, simply because I loved how much of a dick his character was and how much of a know-it-all. And I think it largely came down to the fact that I have been Michael Sheen in a museum or two in my lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> ones, ones that I've known about, yeah. Like, because <laughs> I had to study Picasso at, at school. If, I, if The only place I've ever actually managed to do it with any authority was when we went to the Picasso Museum in Malaga. Mm. But apart from that, I literally just like to go into art museums and, and laugh at how preposterous the stuff is. <laughs> One of our favourite hobbies, a, a, squab- a good squabbling's day out, would be to go to the... Uh, oh, we um, just love to going to somewhere art. like the Tate Modern. And a lot of people, they, ju- they don't like modern art. They don't get modern art. They want nothing to do with it. But for me, I, I, I appreciate it on some level, obviously, being a musician. But for me, it's just comedic value. Sometimes it is just funny. <laughs> like, I will go into... I went in recently with a friend called Jake. And God bless Jake's heart, I've led him more than once... Down the to, garden path. ...to something which yeah. we thought was going to be good. And it was a modern art museum, and it was just atrocious. I have this great story, right? We went on a little lad's holiday to Venice, as you do, you know, one of the most romantic cities in the world. That's such a middle-class sentence. Say it again for the audience. (laughs) We went on a lad's holiday to To Venice, Venice. right? Having, having both of us played the Assassin's Creed games, I said to Jake, oh, yeah, let's go to this museum called the Arsenal. Because <laughs> Can I jump in and just say, my boyfriend got very annoyed with me when Why? we were in Rome. <laughs> we entered this lovely little piazza, and I just suddenly turned around to him and said, Graham, I've been here before. And he went, really? Mm. Yeah, I've been here in Assassin's Creed. It's Assassin's Creed. just went, oh, for fuck's sake. Hats, hats <laughs> off to Creed, actually. If you go to... Um, any of the uh, the cities, I think. Any of the map. locations. I don't know about the really old ones, like the ancient games yeah. now, but the modern ones where they've still got a lot of the Renaissance architecture up, like Venice, they're quite accurate. Or Florence. Yeah, yeah they are very surprisingly accurate. Yeah, very mm, much so. Renditions of but yeah, yes, anyway, anyway sorry, about Jake. Yeah, poor guy. Having played the Assassin's Creed games, we knew Venice a little bit, or what we wanted to see because of the history. And we were like, let's go to the Arsenal. Surely that... Because we saw it was a museum called Le Arsenale, right? Mm-hmm. And we were like, surely that's a museum, that's a military be a cool history thing museum. Full of cannonballs and yeah. muskets and. Which, yeah. which is. Um, boy stuff. Yeah. yeah let's go see the boy it's, stuff. It's, yeah. It's built to glorify Venice's um, naval history and naval prominence in the past and stuff. No. The Arsenale, which was what used to be the old Venetian ship dockyards, had been turned into a modern art think tank. And, and when we went in, it took us about an hour walking around the exhibits to realise there's there's no military oh, history God. here. There's, there's just exhibits it's on global warming made out of old bottles and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like, That's the staple of the modern art uh, exhibition now, isn't it? At some point, you're going to find something made out of aluminium cans about literary yeah. or global warming. That yeah. just seems to be the thing. that <laughs> What we've taken to doing now is, this is a little trick for our listeners, ladies and gents. Next time you find yourself in a modern art uh, exhibition and uh, you want to pretend like you completely get what you're seeing mm. just get the little pamphlet that you were given uh when you entered sort the- of cross your eyes we call this yeah. the tommy smith Fault- right i came up with this in venice Fault- yeah, in the you- peggy guggenheim yeah Museum. in the peggy guggenheim what you do is you cross your arms as as normal 
Hold yep. the leaflet in one hand and then release the leaflet from the cross and place the, le- place the leaflet gently on one's lips as if deep in ponderous thought mm. and go, hmm. Yeah, periodically mm. just go, hmm. hmm and, hold- and keep that leaflet held. Yeah, keep, undu- just, keep just it just over held your there, lip. yeah. And, and or a rolled up magazine hmm. will do as well. A rolled up magazine will do. And then just stand still, maybe with, with one hip cocked to the side. Slightly squinted eyes. Yeah, slightly squinted eyes and, and just nod a little maybe and go, Hmm. 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 I get it. I get. Hmm. I get modern art. <laughs> <laughs> Good tonal shift. That's hmm. a little wanky statement like that, and then move on. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. His what? use. His use of light is Brilliant very Brilliant use good. of crimson. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for God's sake! God, God bless Jake again, my friend. We went to the Tate Modern recently, and apart from one exhibit, which was really good about the treatment of of gays in. Um, in Serbia, we watched a, a, a quite a lengthy video on that, which was really weird, but good. The rest of it, we just went round looking at the modern art exhibits. And I shit you not, we had the best laugh because one of them was just a blank canvas that was white. Oh, do I know this thing? And it's got a single square of black in the middle. Not even that. No, this was that, <laughs> that one was in there too because that's a famous one. But this was just a blank canvas. And it, it was just called something like To Be Finished. It was just a square of white canvas. Not nothing on it. Nothing on it. Modern art is full of w- weird and wonderful shit like that, and I do love it. But no wonder they're they are they're hated vehemently by the public. <laughs> well, you know what to do now. Just bring along your little pamphlet and just uh, just go mm. Mm, and then move mm. on. And then mm. there you are. You mm. can pretend to your date that you get modern art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, shall we leave Midnight in Paris there? Oh my god, what a shit fest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it will make you want to go back to Paris. It will make you I want to entertain yeah. the idea of going back to Paris. Uh, Until you remember how extortionately priced it is and how many fucking rats god. you saw the last time you were there. And <laughs> well, they, they say that Paris has a, a big rat problem, but I've never actually seen any rats in Paris. Oh, I have. I, I know that there probably are lots of them there because it, it was a little bit dirty. But the thing is... If you've ever been to Paris on like a tourist holiday, you'd still say it was probably really nice, wouldn't you? Like I'd it say, is nice. I'd say it's one of the better European cities that I've been to. And yeah. It, 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 and like I said, it, I do have a very love-hate relationship with Paris. Mm. And I probably will end up going back at some point. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing of it. And I'll enjoy every fucking minute I'm there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 just one of those it's it's just one of those very strange contradictions of another very strange contradiction of that city that you simultaneously hate it and also love the bones of it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so, if you want to find us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, we are under the handle squabblings mm. and if any of the listeners want to email us with a future recommendation for a, another episode, where should they find us, Tom? I would very much say that they go to squabblingspodcast at gmail.com. Brilliant. Well, do mm. join us next week where we'll be delving into another Owen Wilson yes. smorgasbord. We have some other Owen Wilson classics coming up, such as Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers, and we're doing Starsky and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch, Tom's Shanghai Nights. personal Knight. favorite, <laughs> Shanghai Nights. Yeah. Well, it's so hard to, to, to talk about now. Is Starsky and Hutch my favorite? Purely just for the moment that Huggy Bear goes, or who's played by Snoop Dogg, goes, <laughs> I found your nana, bitch. I found your nana. <laughs> if anyone's ever seen that, just go and look it up for that moment. Yeah. Um, we shall see you very soon. Yes, very soon. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Goodbye.